Welcome to the Energy Transition Podcast. I'm Ronan Kavanagh, and I'm delighted to be joined today by new energy editor Lauren Kraft to talk about some of the energy transition implications and lessons from the recent headline-grabbing power outages in Texas. Thank you for joining us today, Lauren. It's my joy. Thanks for having me, Ronan. Now, disasters like this have a way of shaking up old patterns of thinking and perhaps like jump-starting some overdue political reforms. But we've also seen, you know, the old blame game growing about the growing reliance on renewable energy and fossil fuel. Do you think renewable energy failed in Texas? Well, in a way it did. But when I say it did, I mean that all factors were in play and renewables were among them. And the problems run deeper than any single energy source. And this disaster really illustrated something we already knew, that every single energy source is vulnerable and every energy source of generation, every source of electricity generation has its weak spots. And then in this case of Texas and surrounding states, but especially Texas, we saw gas supply that would have fed electricity generators fall sharply because the wellheads froze. Everything is vulnerable to the weather in some way. While a big chunk of the state's wind power also went offline as turbines seized up in the cold, some nuclear shutdown, and you know, the list goes on. Another factor is that Texas has a mostly independent grid. So you know, one of the negatives of that is that it made it more vulnerable. And in my view, The fundamental problem here is a lack of support and backup. It's not the individual energy sources. We already knew that every energy source has these disadvantages. Uh, and You can't find a perfect energy source. But knowing that any energy source is weak, any energy source can go offline, how are we going to prepare for that worst-case scenario? Uh, How are we going to prepare for things like utility-scale batteries or even retail batteries? Uh, for storage or transmission lines that can connect regions better to benefit from more backup supply? I think that's the key question here. Thank you. But we've still seen, haven't we, people kind of, you know, finger waving at frozen windmills, even if they weren't the, you know, the main problem. Could this slow momentum for, for renewables in Texas and more broadly? That's a great question. The way I see it, For those who are supporting strong climate policy, I see this crisis as actually have increased their resolve to move into renewables and decarbonize the economy more broadly because extreme weather always gets people thinking about climate change. And more of the population is noticing that these weather events are growing more common and growing worse. And we're going to continue to see President Biden, for instance, push forward a bold climate agenda. And we'll continue to see investors and corporations positioning their business models for a low carbon economy. And I'll expect we'll see those trends continue or even gain a boost. Another thing to note here on renewables is that they can be set up to withstand plunging temperatures or precipitation and the like. If your wind turbines are properly weatherized, they can handle much harsher weather. And we see this in the U.S. Midwest. The Midwest region can get very, very cold and they have tons of wind power. So they manage it through equipment, through technology, through preparation. On the other hand, could the recent power crisis bring back a push for an all of the the above energy strategy, which was popular kind of five to 10 years ago in the US? Absolutely. And I think we're already seeing that to an extent. 
even though the direction is moving toward low carbon, it's still moving in that direction. This crisis offers some constructive lessons, perhaps, about how that transition should look, perhaps reinforcing the idea that we shouldn't put all of our eggs in one basket in one type of energy source. For example, the Texas disaster seems to be reinforcing the idea that gas should have a role in a low carbon economy, or it should be considered as part of that low carbon economy. And we've already seen EQT, which is the biggest U.S. gas producer, use the crisis as an opportunity, as a platform to speak out in favor of governments continuing to approve plenty of gas infrastructure like gas pipelines, which are under a lot of political resistance. And one thing to consider is that diversity can always be a good thing and energy isn't necessarily any different. Just like at any company or office, The employees have strengths and weaknesses, and we support each other. Ronan, you have strengths that I don't, so you help me out a lot. We're a team. Energy sources can be much the same way. They can reinforce each other if we have that nice variety. Indeed, indeed. Now, as you say, kind of, we're in a team and we're looking at kind of renewables gathering more momentum. But what lessons can be learned from what happened in Texas? The outages really illustrate the hard task ahead to prepare the U.S. grid for larger volumes of renewables. If you look at intermittent wind and solar, they represent around 9% to 10% of U.S. power generation by latest estimates. So there's room for that to increase by around 90 percentage points or so. And the trend is certainly moving in that direction, as we've said. But the power crisis proves that we need to be strategic in how we go about that. We've seen independent modeling conducted for countries in Europe where renewable uptake has, of course, increased significantly. And that modeling shows that penetration rates for renewables of 80% up to 100% are technically possible if there's enough storage and backup power and if these preparations are made. And I think Denmark's grid is a useful example here. The country really boasts very high renewable electricity generation, but it has interconnections with its neighboring countries, and that has ensured stable power supply. Of course, building transmission lines is trickier in the U.S., given that the land mass is much larger, it's much more spread out. But still, the crisis has kickstarted initiatives to do it anyway, to build those transmission lines anyways, to connect those different regions. And in Texas, there are actually a small amount of transmission lines that really helped the situation there. Power was brought in from places like the East, and without that, the crisis would have been even worse. So there's room for a lot more of those connections if the investments are made. And do you think that's something we're going to see kind of starting to happen sooner rather than later? I do think so. Transmission line investments are likely to gain a new wave of attention as Congress and the White House roll up their sleeves on a forthcoming infrastructure package. And renewable energy advocates have pointed to the power outages as evidence that we really need a macro grid of sorts that would help connect rural renewables to high demand markets on top of helping in case of power outages. So we're likely to see the politics align and also the investments align, perhaps. Great. And I mean, looking at the bigger picture, transmission lines are only part of the story, aren't they? I mean, what about things like energy storage? Absolutely. Utility scale storage or even retail storage units such as at homes or businesses. This is another way to back up the grid when the energy generation fails. We were just talking about building more transmission lines, but what if the regions next to you are suffering from the same cold snap or the same heat wave and can't spare much power because they're short on supply too? 
So energy storage would be an answer there. And I mean, as well, we're seeing a move towards more electric vehicles in the US. I mean, does that increase the challenge for the grid? This, I think, is a really important question, Ronan, because drastic improvements to the grid are needed to accommodate charging needs as electric vehicles displace conventional cars. There's been a lot of academic studies on this lately. There is a big need. And that that um, challenge exists even under normal weather conditions. And the move toward electric vehicles will require even more power generation, more backup, more infrastructure. There are some opportunities here too, though, for electric vehicles to actually lend a hand to the grid rather than just consuming. Some specialists have called for the creation of market and policy frameworks to enable EVs to balance out the grid to an extent by making it profitable for consumers to supply electricity from their charged batteries by essentially uh, sending it back to the grid during times of peak demand. And they would have that incentive because they might be able to earn some money from that. And that's very interesting because, I mean, we saw in Texas, there were some folks with home solar and battery systems who kind of avoided the power outages. Do you think there's an opportunity here now for decentralized generation? I do. The consumers equipped with rooftop solar panels, especially those with with also having batteries in their basement or garage can clearly take advantage of that self-generation when the grid fails. And also on a bigger scale, neighborhoods or perhaps towns can use decentralized power generation assets as well as a type of grid island, so to speak, or a semi-autonomous area. That way, if the larger grid fails, these decentralized renewables give them their own sort of backup. And of course, planning is very important here, isn't it? But the recent cold slap exceeded even the most extreme scenarios envisaged by by the grid planners. Do you think the power industry needs to plan better for wildcards like this? Yes, and I would argue the energy industry as a whole needs to better prepare because all infrastructure will be affected. Upstream infrastructure, power, refineries... All facilities are vulnerable to extreme weather. What was very interesting is that the grid manager in Texas, as you've mentioned, that that grid manager is known as ERCOT, had predictions for what winter 2021 would look like. And the cold snap exceeded even its most extreme scenario. So the energy industry really needs to start thinking about more extremes, so to speak, more extreme extremes, uh, if you will, and be ready for even more wildcards. And of course, this is just not limited just to the US, is it? I mean, the power outages in Texas were extraordinary, but this is having resonance, is it, around countries around the world as they look at the the impacts of climate change becoming real? Yes, even in countries where national strategies or plans for climate change adaptation are in place, the needs of climate resilience in the electricity sector have been often overlooked. Even in countries where national strategies or plans for climate change adaptation are in place, the needs of climate resilience in the electricity sector have often been overlooked. There was research released by the International Energy Agency in October, and it found that only 17 of its 38 members have incorporated concrete actions to date for climate resilience of electricity sectors systems into their national adaptation strategies. And of those, 
only six cover the entire electricity value chain. Meanwhile, more than half have very limited or no information dedicated to climate resilience of electricity systems. I mean, it shows that adaptation has perhaps lagged a bit. But I mean, with COP26 coming up in November, I mean, this is on the agenda. Are we seeing signs of more political focus on it emerging? I think so. There was a very appropriately named Climate Adaptation Summit hosted by the Netherlands in late January. And there, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, adaptation cannot be the neglected half of the climate equation. Also, the new U.S. climate envoy, John Kerry, also told the 30 world leaders at the summit that Joe Biden's administration will start focusing more funding on adaptation resilience and improving adaptation programs. The EU is looking as well to boost its efforts and has just launched a new adaptation strategy as part of a wider ongoing review of climate and energy policy. So certainly we're seeing all these examples. Great. Let's see now how how, how this translates into action, because these devastating black blackouts certainly demonstrate that, you know, there's a difficult road ahead as severe weather intensifies and the economy decarbonizes. And then Albert Einstein here is often quoted as saying, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. No advice is more suitable here. Absolutely. Very sound advice. And thank you for giving it to us, Lauren, and for coming along and sharing your insights today. My pleasure. Thank you, Ronan. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. Music.